HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at factors that will shape our food world in 2019. We start with trend predictions and how media covers them. A website could theoretically devote all their coverage to these viral trends and, and get all sorts of hits. That's not a way to build sustainable readerships, just as it's not a way to build you know, sustainable restaurants. We report on a big change coming and how street meat will be served. On January 1st, a ban on plastic foam went into effect in New York City. And we round out the episode with a story about using gene editing to create the spicy tomato of the future. At first, it sounds like a, like a gimmick or like something that you would do for fun. The truth is, there is a real value behind it. It's not too late to make your resolution. Subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode this year. To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Scott Waltz. We'll talk to Scott about Italian wines, Spanish wines, being a Psalm, Babo, and a lot more. A lot to cover. We'll taste an Aglianico for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. All right, Scott Waltz. Washington, D.C. born, correct, and an aspiring actor. Scott made his way to New York City, bagged the acting, worked with Tom Colicchio, 11 Madison Park in La Serena. More importantly, Scott had a heck of a year last year. Let's talk about that. He was named Best New Sommelier by Wine and Spirits for 2018. He earned his advanced pin in the Court of the Master Sommeliers, and he was a runner-up in the 2018 Art Challenge. But most importantly, and he won't fight me on this, he had his first child last year. 
Scott is currently the wine director at Babo in New York City. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Scott. Thank you, Sam. Excited to be here. Did uh, did I get that intro correct? Absolutely. All right. Especially the end. Absolutely. Okay. Um, all right. I want people to know who I'm sitting with, so yeah. I ask everyone, are our mics okay? Good. Um, I ask everyone to give us a little background on your journey in life and wine, because this is a wine show that got you currently to Babo. Now, don't spend the whole show on it, but just, you know, take me through. <laughs> you cut me off when I go too long. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you, you mentioned the acting, which is definitely uh, something that, that brought me to New York. Uh, I grew up a military brat, so I moved all over the world with my, uh, my family, my parents, and brother and sister. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of kids had a hard, I watched a lot of kids have a hard time kind of living the military brat life and, you know, picking up and moving out. And I never really had that difficulty. I think part of it was, um, I was really good at, at picking up friends by trying to entertain and as much as possible with whatever I could do, uh, couple that with the fact that my dad's always, and I think I definitely took this on, maybe it's in our genes, but I've been someone who's obsessed with something for short periods of time, short period <laughs> obsessions, if you will. So, I mean, my dad was someone who, you know, picked up skiing and then became a ski instructor. He picked up sailing and was a sail instructor. He, he was in scouts. He was in genealogy. He, Talented you know, guy. Little league, yeah, little league coach, like <laughs> always had his hands dappling. He was an actor for a period of time too. Like always had his hands dappling in something. And I think I picked that up also. So I would become very kind of obsessed with being good at things. Um, and so that was one thing that kind of got me uh, going into the career I am in now. And then on top of that, the, the acting so I always wanted to entertain people and I think that goes back to the you know you live somewhere for a year or two and then right. you have to pick up a whole new friend so what do you do I was uh, put a little show on little yeah and and believe me I did like I, in some ways in a nerdy way I like you know dabbled in doing little magic shows for my friends and then did little like skits and I got into acting and then later got into stage acting and um, always wanted to like teach and I did that for a while so I did, went to undergrad for, for theater, uh, did the regional theater thing. That's where I met my wife. Um, went to grad school, taught theater for a while. And so you but, were pretty deep. Oh, yeah, very deep. When I mean, it was like, this is technically a second second career. <laughs> almost. Yeah, right. uh, 2009 was when I moved here, so I'm almost coming up in my 10 years. But when you came in 2009, you came with aspirations to act? It's funny, or... actually. I... I, I, I would say yes then, and yet looking back on it now, I think I was done by the time I moved to New York, which really? is really weird. Yeah, I, I think getting out of grad school, and I was, like I said, I like being good at things, and I was aware that both acting and singing and directing, I was always good at, but I was never the best, and so I realized if I couldn't be the best outside of New York, what am I moving to New York for? So I, I think I moved to New York uh, because I really wanted to live in New York City. Um, and so when I moved here, as I had, you know, I've been in restaurants my entire life. So uh, that was what I knew. And I think I, you know, for a couple of years still dabbled in the acting thing, but really knew that it, that was that was behind me. So let's talk about from 09 to now, the restaurant path you took sure. and how that pulled you into yeah. the whole wine world. So, I mean, I, I again, like I said, I always had something that, 
I like putting on a show. I like entertaining. I like seeing people smile and happy. And that I think is the, the connection there. So, you know, which at, at some point acting was a, uh, a, a means to an end. Um, I'm sorry, waiting tables was a means to an end for acting. It really just reversed. Uh, and it started becoming my wife and I, you know, you save up your money for a month to go see a Broadway show. We're saving up our money. And instead of going to see a Broadway show, we're eating at La Bernadette, you know? And so all of a sudden we're like, oh, we get, show it literally way. is a dinner and a show, yeah. you know? Like, and, and for me, that's what was important. Exactly. And it was, so we, we found, you know, we were going to, <laughs> to Times Square, but not seeing shows. We're going to see right. Eric, Eric repair. Um, right. And, you know, and you know, then moved into per se. And, and so while I was working for the first two years and still thinking about if I was acting, I was, I was working at, you know, a seafood house for two years that was, you know, in Times Square and doing well. But I realized, I wanted to do more in the restaurant industry. So I jumped over to Cliquey and Sons, you know, like a lot of us, especially before I was really knowledgeable about the restaurant industry. I was like, well, Tom Kalik is a big name. He, sure. I've, I've heard of him. So is that uh, when he was down on West Chelsea? Yeah. Like yeah so right, right next to Del Posto. Yeah, right. Right. There. Which is now Joe Rubichon. But, um, right. uh, originally Kraft Steak, then moved into, uh, Kalik and Sons. Uh, and it was my first dabble into a restaurant that was trying to be someone. You know, they were still fairly new. They right. got their three-star review in the New York Times and beautiful restaurant and really trying to do everything that, you know, the, the four-star restaurants were trying to do on a really high level. Uh, but it was also, you don't make mistakes there. You know, and that was the first time where I was like, I worked in restaurants where you make a mistake, the manager's like, hey, you made a mistake, and you walk yeah, away. this is the big No, leaks. that's not how it works here. Yeah, this is the big leaks. So you're there how long? <clears throat> not, not even a year. Not, not very long, but what? it was instrumental in me going – and understanding this it, is what a raised restaurant raised your does. awareness Absolutely. to the level of hospitality and I got to meet some, should be. Yeah, I got to meet some great people. Uh, Thomas Pasterzak was uh, a short time the wine director when I got there. Uh, and then um, uh, uh, R-squared. Uh, Ryan. Ryan, yeah, thank you. Uh, Ryan was the wine director during my time there. Uh, and, so you, a, and a number of people that were you, really, really great. Right, so good people. So you leave there and go where? 11 Madison. So really... But the, you don't go to... We're not into wine yet, right? right you go no, to 11 no. Madison I mean, we're into captain. wine. I remember sitting at a table with Ryan during a, one of his wine classes, and people were talking about wine the way that we do now and thinking, like, I remember the idea, and I still talk to new wine drinkers to this day about it. This, What does this t- taste and smell like? And all I can say is it tastes and smells like grapes. It smells <laughs> like wine. It. You know, like that generally... Like, you can't get past the idea of what it is. Yeah. The real... The transition to 11 Madison was that I... You know, in, in one of the number of dinners that my wife and I did, I brought her to 11 Madison for her birthday. And the, I, my mind exploded. Like, really, it was... Was the, that still Danny Meyer then? No, or no, it, was, it had just Will crossed over to Will and Daniel, yeah. And they were putting on a show. And for me, it was, like, not kitschy. It, I mean, some people will say that, but it was not kitschy. It was, it was purely about enjoyment of the guests. So true. How uh, did you get the job there? You pursued them yeah. because it was well. I I sneakily pursued them. Like you know, they had random open calls, and I showed up to an open call. But I had been pursuing them before that. You know, and you weren't even bar. thinking wine, right? You were no. Just, I was thinking okay. I wanted to just be at the top restaurant in the world. So what year was that? Um, 2012. So 2012, you spend four years there. Yeah. Any wine shift while you? That was my. That wine was. Shift. Oh, I mean, but you went there as a captain. Oh, I went there as a. But you had this hunger for server, wine yeah, knowledge. So no, you go there at the bottom. Everyone, okay. manager, some, everyone there starts at the bottom. Right. Um, and 
to me, that's remarkable that, you know, you can have somebody with an idea where you go, no matter how, what level of experience you have, you're starting at the bottom. So for me, I started at the bottom, worked my way up over a period of four years, was a captain there. It was, first and foremost, it was a PhD in hospitality. It was a right. PhD in taking care of people. Uh, and then it also started my, my love of wine. Um, because, again, you have to know so much um, on any given night. And I got to work with... You know, Dustin Wilson, Dustin. who was my first mentor, and then everyone beneath him right. who were, you know, an, at this time, a number of master psalms. Any one of those those sommeliers could be winning the best wine program in this city, and, and they're working there as sommeliers because that is the most elite team. To this day, with Cedric running it, is still I agree. the, the, Cedric, the Both elite Cedric team. and Dustin have been on the show. Yeah. So you spend four years there. Why do you leave? Uh, it was a little bit of like, okay, I... I, I I love the company. I can see myself, even to this day, going back and working with that company in a different spot. But you needed to kind of uh, open your wings and fly. And especially, I want—I did finally get to a point where I—I I wanted to be wine focused. Right. Um, and it wasn't happening right when you wanted it. To. Well, no, I, it was. I, I don't. I never asked. I never. I didn't expect it. There was never a, a thought of doing it at all, at Madison. For for me, and right. and and I think it was really just the, the fact that you. You don't you don't start as a sommelier there. You need a sommelier. So that's you leave there to go to 2016. I go to uh, yeah, La Serena, La Serena. an mm-hmm. opening. Yeah. So my my focus was I've always believed in the very very strongly. I think it comes from my my you know growing up with my father like a mentor game, somebody who you're looking up to and you want to learn from. And so Dustin and I can name a list of sommeliers at Eleven S and that all were my mentors. Uh, then. I was looking for the next one. And so for me, I was, I looked at a bunch of different places, some places that were willing to throw out wine director jobs. And I'll be honest, I've never even met someone. Why did the La Serena job make sense? So, uh, I met up with a, a gentleman named Luke Boland, who was opening the, the restaurant as a wine, as the wine director. And he had worked at Del Posto and various other spots. And we, we met and I sat with him and I thought, this this guy has the direction that I'm kind of going in towards. And then, on top of that, met with Jeff Porter. And I don't know anyone who meets Jeff Porter and goes, I don't want to work. Like, I right. have to work for this guy. So it was the best people, the best opportunity. You just, I, I could see and, right. I, I, you know, it, it's one of the best moves I made. And I could see the trajectory and, and, and how these people would raise me up. So... You go to La Serena, which is, like I said, Bastianich and Batali. Mm-hmm. You go there to open it. Mm-hmm. Uh, first restaurant they open in a dozen years or Ten so. Ten years, yeah, and, yeah. And it closes down. Yeah, in how yeah long? it's a sad in, in two years. So uh, you stay with the company and three, just three years give me the timeline. You go to Babo, which is an institution. Yeah, yeah. When, so, you, when was so, that? So we opened the restaurant in 2016 of February. Uh, really the most beautiful restaurant I've seen. I still Very cool. To this day, in the Maritime Hotel. Yeah, just really, really beautiful. I mean, the difficulty in a spot like that and there you know the place before us struggled with it and you know i'm curious to see where it goes from now but the place was just big and so on any given night you could do 600 covers or you could do 60. 6d yeah. yeah and so to staff something like that and to stay on top like i think in some ways i always thought about this the possibility of them being like the italian balthazar and yet it, right. it was it was and it, and there were nights that it felt like that yeah but then there were nights that i wasn't in you know the struggling so they new cl- york city is tough 
they close it down. <clears throat> you go to Babo. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Yeah, I, I, I've already realized that as we've been talking, this is the like the trajectory of like restaurants I go into most often close before I, at, right after. I no, leave. Wow, eleven Madison. <laughs> I've got still like Calicio and, and Sons. No, 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 I, I got Serena. I'm like, when, ah, I, something's, when, something's, something's when I was looking a resume at builder. <laughs> when I was looking at the notes, I didn't even think that. Like this guy's the kiss of death. Nothing like because the business is so. No, I mean I'm, I'm lucky. I got you. It's so yeah. volatile the yeah. business. If EMP and Bob clothes then definitely something's yeah, going yeah. on <laughs> I, i'll give you that all right so you've been in new york about 10 years yeah all right so in the 10 years you've been here and you're not a new yorker but now you're a new yorker mm-hmm. what are you know the biggest changes you've seen pretty much in the wine and the restaurant world are there one or two things that you know really have yeah i think I, I, the biggest thing is guest knowledge i i, I think it's amazing. I mean, you get guests on any night that you're like, I could hire you as a junior som right now. Like the, their knowledge of wine, the New York's, and I have not worked outside of New York, so I don't know. But I, I would I think New York is pretty sure. well yeah, educated. I would make that guess also. But, so a guy comes in and just his knowledge or interest. Yeah, and he asked me for Schiappatino, and I'm like, I, right. I know some that don't know and you can say it and spell it, and right. knows exactly where it is, and you know that yeah, there, there are a lot of guests that have a lot of knowledge and. And then um, that's interesting. And then I think the connection to being able to like, you know, we talked about social media, but also just the ability to like hold things on your phone. So the discovery. Idea is like, I had this wine. Right. Do you have this wine? Like that idea. So, so part of that answer is social media developed, not evolved, but developed in ten years that had a, an incredible technology, social media, yeah, all that, all that is absolutely. And I think we care more about what we eat and drink more than I think ever. I think yeah. now we really, really care about like where our food comes from. We care about where our wine comes from. And I think we, we, we also like to be able to say like, we know this grape, we know this wine, we know this. So what producer can you show me that does something like this? Right. So, I mean, just tell me your feelings quickly about the natural wine movement. <laughs> it's funny if you'd asked me like three, three or four months ago, I know this, this has been a hot button topic for a while it's been if you had for a long time on different levels and i think i purposely people. like avoided it for my entire time in the last three or four months and i think in some ways it's just been a discussion that it, it doesn't seem to be ending and i not necessarily think it, it should but i think i always kind of my stock answer for the longest time was if the wine is good then i don't you know it doesn't bother me but then i've talked to a lot of close friends of mine and i'm starting to kind of come over to the side where i feel like it's more than just the wine tasting good. You know, I think in some ways it does, it can't be flawed. Like I think that's the easy answer. Right. And, and there are a lot of flawed wines out there, whether they're conventional or, or not. Well, the perception and the reality is right. there's more flawed natural wines than other wines. And I, I'll be honest, I feel like in some ways that is the case more often than not. But, man, when those natural wines are good, like I, Caleb Ganser, a good friend of mine, I think this is what really woke me up over a couple months ago we were talking and he said there's something to the effect of there's something alive within these bottles that's, and that's definitely what I love think. that idea the idea that there's something electric there's something alive and so when I go back to tasting those wines and I go oh yeah that there's something and not you know not every bottle tastes the same and so you know people that are hoping for consistency may not get it all the time but within those bottles there's something alive i think i think you're right about that so i think it's a good thing i again think i i hope that you know the idea that sustainability and being it like i said earlier we care about what are you know we go right. 
miles on miles over to go food. to the, yeah, and going you, to farmer's markets right. instead of going around and the corner of the grocery store. purple wine. Absolutely. You know, yeah. So I think people care and, and, and wine always follows food. And so the idea is that uh, people are starting to care more and more about wine. And we, I get those questions often. Yeah. I just wanted to get your take on it. Yeah. Um, it's funny. A few minutes ago, one of the things you said that have changed is, is wine knowledge of the customer. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're you're like a som-som, why are people still intimidated by soms? I guess you right. don't feel that way and you don't act that way, but yeah. I guess within the cadre of soms... Because I think there are soms out there that... I mean, it's a, it's a problem. There are still soms out there that do intimidate. So a it's couple something of that bad I, apples. I, I, on every, with every som that's ever worked under me, I have to pull them aside at some point and say, like, you realize you were talking for yourself as opposed to talking for the guest. And that, for me, is, is an old Madison Park thing i mean i learned that and i've been trying to transfer it over to every every experience i have i think there are a lot of times where we have built up a certain amount of knowledge that when somebody comes in and says i mean i get it almost every night i like cabernet sauvignon and i like pinot noir well those two really can't be any further from each right. other in a lot of ways but my job is to find out what you mean by that right as opposed to defining you as someone who doesn't know about wine uh and or so if, your preference right and i and i still to this day as much as i think we've gotten closer to being hospitality driven and, and caring for our guests. And I think, I think in some ways there's still an issue with, you know, people feeling like, well, you don't really know what you're talking about, about wine. So I'm going to, you know, talk down to you. And so I think some guests feel that way. There's also the idea, and I think this isn't as big of a problem as it used to be, but you know, price gouging, I think is an issue. I, I tell people all the time, the easiest thing you can tell me at a table, like the best thing you can tell me is where do you want to stay with it? You give me a range, right. I can work with it right. easily. And I'm not going to go outside that range. Even at Babo, Del Posto, Daniel, you probably have more gems in certain ranges oh, than most sure. places. For so, sure. I mean, especially in Italy. It's like a, I mean, yeah, especially in Italy. Um, all right, so let's just talk about the elephant in the room for a second. And I don't want to get into any gory details, but, you know, you've been working best with Bastianich and Mario Batali for years. Yep. Has the Mario Batali story, and we won't get into that, yeah. affected you? I think, I mean, it affected the company over the last year. and it, Which has affected effect- me. It affected me for sure. I mean, that was, you know, part of the reason of me heading over to Babo. Um, I think in some ways it affected us for better because it made us work harder. I think in some ways we go, okay, well, you know, Babo's been an institution for 20 years. We had lines out the door at, you know, we would open at five o'clock. We had lines out the door at four. You know, that's not necessarily the case anymore. We're still packed. We're still busy. But now, uh, you know, one thing that I've worked hard over the last year of being there is we now can't say no. We have to say yes. Right. And when we have to say no to someone, we have to make them think we're saying yes. Right. Because for us, it now needs to be, you can't just rely on good food. I tell that to our, our staff every night. You can't, Baba's food's insanely good. Like the food is, it's the reason why it's been, been in, it's always been good. Right. It's always been consistent. And a 20-year-old restaurant isn't going to have lines out the door. The fact that it's still open right. 20 years later <laughs> right. exactly. is a big freaking and, uh, deal. You know, you there are only a handful out there. And, yeah. and so we I think in some ways, like it, it made us work harder and figure out. What, you know what the next generation of Bastianich's restaurants are. And people so we're, come we're in ever and give you crap. Like, you know, why would they 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 do from time? Uh, I mean, every once in a while, people ask. Yeah. People ask the questions. People want to know what you know uh, uh, what we know. And to be honest, we we don't know much. Like, right. we know as much as, as most people know if they're right. following the story. Sure, but they in keep the long it run, for the right reason. Right, and in the long run, we're really focusing on just trying to make sure that the 
the restaurants still put out the same quality of right. service and dining experiences as we have for 20 years. All right, let's talk about wines for a couple of minutes. So you obviously have a true love for Italian wines. Yeah. I think I picked up that you have some interest in Spanish wines. Um, and you brought uh, an interesting wine in. Talk to me about regions or winemakers, wines that sure. are exciting you. Yeah. It could be yeah. old school barrel. You know, what 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 should we be looking for? What are you drinking? You know? I mean, I think any anybody that's worked with me for the last, you know, three years probably is tired of me saying this and I know it's also <laughs> quite popular. But I mean I I haven't heard it. I'm a me. you know, you've heard it too, because you've probably heard from other people, but at Edna for me is is like the region. And I know it's it's starting to become like the, the nauseating thing everyone says. For how really long? Is. Has it been two, three, four years? Oh, I think that that it's been the hot hot yeah yeah maybe three or four maybe okay. five years I think we're now getting into a place if you knew three or four years ago how hot it was and you started buying up then we're now starting to get to a cusp where I think in the way that Burgundy and Barolo does the prices are going to start to skyrocket and there's not a, and like Burgundy there's not enough out there and so I think in some ways those wines uh, the give whites, me a couple of makers give me uh, uh, I mean, my kind of there I have a lot for a lot of different reasons but my my first love of, of Aetna was definitely Benanti B-E-N-A-N-T-I um, correct um, and then producer. I can give you a list of other ones that I'm obsessed Benanti with. Benanti makes good good value. Wines, I think he makes some rate. of the most balanced, most ageable, and not crazy pricey. On some of them. they weren't when I first started. They're well, getting, everything they're getting there. Um, but again, I still think we're in a place where what's you, the oh wow producer? You know who's making? I mean, I, I definitely think are, Benanti's up there. Okay. I think uh, uh, Girolamo Russo. Um, Wait, slow down and say Girolamo that. Russo. So G I R. G I L A M O, uh, yeah, Girolamo, Gira, oh. yeah, Girolamo, okay, uh, Russo, and then uh, Gracchi, G R A C I, correct, okay, um, Golfi, who makes both uh, spell G U L F I. Uh, These are all great producers, and Golfi also makes some great Nerdavola and Frappatos down in uh, the southern okay. part. Um, so I the mean, predominant wine in. The Etna wines is the problem. A grape is grape. Yeah, uh, Nerula Muscalese, right? Uh, and then uh, usually Nerula Capuccio, right? Um, and then the whites, because I, I think we talk a lot about the reds, but I'll be honest, I actually get a lot more excited about the whites in some ways. I think, I think the whites have shown how well they age. The reds are still kind of up for discussion. Really, I, I think there's. I've had some really great what are the old predominant reds. white grapes. Uh, Caracante. Um, C-A-R-I-C-A-N-T. And, and I, yeah, and I always kind of like lean towards Caracante as being some of the best ones, especially uh, on the, let's say, eastern um, slope of Etna, Caracante 100%. But you'll see... Uh, and highly uh, ageable? Highly ageable. I mean, for me, Caracante. I think they come off, you know, the minerality, the kind of like honey notes you get when you age. I, I think they're very much in a, in a Chablis kind of world. Really? Um, oh, they're fat. Now, they're are fantastic. the makers that we mentioned also making, making good Caracantes? Mm-hmm. Yep. So any of the people, Gracchi, for sure. Benanti, they're, yep. they're making good Caracantes. Absolutely. And, uh, and the beauty of Etna for me also is that it does have a very a burgundy feel to it. I think everyone talks about it. Flavor yeah, profile, which is which I, I think is good. But for me also just the idea of the contrada, which is basically kind of like the 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 burgundy kind of like crew system, you right. know, or the, the kind of small areas where they grow and the you know, I was talking to Benanti a couple months ago and talking about that's where I think the next level of 
Etna grows is a real definition of what these contratos do. So like Girolamo Russo does Fiuto de Mezzo, which I think tend to kind of bring off a little bit more of a riper style of, of Etnas, where in Benanti, uh, their Cerro della Contessa is just really kind of like more mineral driven and like vol- you get that volcanic Vol- minerality. Volcanic, yeah. um, but then the white, and I think they're, and I, I don't mean to put the reds down, I think they age well and I'm curious to see how much better they get made to age well but the whites are showing now it's crazy i think the best usually the opposite i do i i mean i've been saying this for years i think the best white wine coming out of all of italy is is pietro marina from bonante and i think those pietro marina is the maker is the no the bottling so the bottling pietro marina um it's from a little area called milo which is the only area you can do at na superiore and, and it is like the best site for it nice um are you give me some other Give me another region that's floating your boat. Is it sure. Spain or? Uh, I mean, I do. I I sold. But don't stick to that. Yeah, no, no. I love, love Spain. you right now? I love Spain. Absolutely. Uh, I you know I was lucky enough that during Las Arenas tenure we started doing a, a tapas side of the restaurant. So the bar was tapas and the dining room was dalian, and so we were able to bring on Spanish wines. And my mind just exploded. I think you know Italy and Spain have a lot in common in terms of wine regions that have been around for so long that went through such despair, like and. Um, and then really built themselves back up with great indigenous varieties. They played a lot with international varieties for a long time, and I think there are good wines out there that do that. But for the most part now, they're really figuring out what their indigenous varieties are doing. So for me, like I love uh, in Spain, I like Godeo was something I, when I was at Las Arena, I was obsessed with, and still am for that matter. That's the maker? That's the grape. So G-O-D-E-L-L-O, Godeo. Oh, Godeo. Uh-huh. Uh, Rafael Palacios does a great one. Right. Uh, Cell. Does a fantastic one as well, um, and so this is in the kind of the, the north uh, western part of Spain. So you you know close to like Galicia where you see Albarino. So it's Galicia. It's well, it's, it's around. You see in like Valderas and uh, right. sometimes in Bierzo, but um, but basically in that area right. where you get the kind of lush green area. That area is exciting. Yeah. Albarino obsessed with as well. As a I think white. that. Man, that's the I think one of the most versatile grapes and some of the most good food grape. grapes. Oh, fantastic, Great. fantastic! A city. Do you have a maker, Albarino? Yeah. Uh, well, one that I'm obsessed with now. Uh, I was I was pointed by the glass for a while at La Serena, and, and I just recently saw it somewhere. Oh, I saw it at um, Manhattan. They're pointing it by the glass now. Is uh, Michael? Uh, yeah, a Non Claris. So N A N C L A R E S, um, and their dandelion bottling, which weirdly. I wouldn't say is the best interpretation of it is Albarino. Oh, right. I wouldn't say it's the best interpretation of what Albarino is, uh, but the wine is insanely good. It it actually for me comes off a little bit more like Riesling. As there's a really? you know a slight residual sugar quality, but the acid's still there, so it's not cloying. Albarino. It is incredible. And this is a, a you know a producer who I the re, I was really kind of trying to figure out why the you know the RS level is there and and reached out to a few people and figured out that he didn't want to add. Um, he didn't want to add, you know, yeast, inoculate yeast, so he basically just stops the uh, fermentation process, uh, adds a little bit of sulfur, and so it left over a little bit of residual sugar, and the wine is outstanding. Wow. Um, Got to look after that. Standard kind of Albarinos that I think are really, really great, like Do Ferrero <laughs> is kind of a, a, a classic. Um, Do Ferrero and the kind of everything that Do Ferrero does or various other bottles. Spell that, that for me. Do. Oh, D-O space F-E. I'm going to mangle this. R-R-E-R. F E R R I E R O, I think. Oh, for, to, for, I got Ferrero. It. I'll double check it. As I tell everyone, we'll post, you know, all the uh, 
wines we're sure. talking about and the fantastic yeah and all of that. but i mean it, that's the thing is there are so many producers of alberino right now because they're 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 really starting I to figure out that grapes amazing. i think it's underappreciated absolutely you know? and then on the red side for spain uh you know it's been popular for a while but i think they're defining different areas of spain now where it works but garnacha you know i mean you you think of garnache in france and you think of kind of now in italy but you know, that is where the grape came from was Spain. And they're right. starting to figure out they have incredible old vine garnacha all throughout Spain that are making some really outstanding wines. So pretty much garnacha as a category in mm -hmm. Spain is a good play. For sure, yeah. Right, those are all good recos. We're talking to Scott Waltz. Scott Waltz is the uh, wine director at Babo. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk to Scott about the wine program at uh, Babo. I want to subject him to our wine list. And Scott brought in a Aglianico mm -hmm. del Voltori. Mm -hmm. You're listening to The Grape Nation. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Chaipani Restaurant Group. From Bombay to Buncombe and Asheville to Atlanta, Chaipani has extended the love of food, culinary experience, and storytelling to the Southeast. Founded by Meherwani and Mali Irani, Chaipani Restaurant Group includes two locations of Chaipani, plus MG Road Bar and Lounge, Botiwala, Buxton Hall Barbecue, and their new spice company, Spicewala. Learn more about Chaipani and watch their documentary series, Cutting Chai, at chaipanirestaurantgroup.com. That's C-H-A-I-P-A-N-I restaurantgroup.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Scott Waltz. Scott is the wine director at Babo. Babo is truly... Uh, an institution in New York for a lot of reasons. Um, so I want to talk to you about the wine program. So let's start off with the obvious stuff. It's a huge seller. <laughs> How many selections are we talking about here? So, or bottles? Or yeah, bowls? yeah, we got. Um, you know, I mean, people love to hear. So this we're stuff. lucky enough to have the off uh, an offsite space too. So we have about let's see, about eleven thousand bottles in our cellar. Jesus. Uh, in the range of like 2,500, 2,700 selections, uh, and then another 23, 24,000 bottles in Jersey. And, he, and that's, I feel like in some ways that's like most of my job is making sure that gets, you know, the, the seller and the list stay full with me kind of pulling three bottles and sending three bottles. And, and both know. are Babo owned, Babo seller, right? Yep. I mean, those. Absolutely. Yeah. That's as big as anywhere, right? It is. It's huge. I mean, I really, I mean, it, I, I the first time I saw it, I was, you know, I was like, I'm going to handle it. I was like a kid in a candy yeah. store. And then it's also intimidating because, I mean, there aren't many restaurants out there that have been working on building a cellar for 20 years. Which, you know, is, you know that that's part of it. Um, the answer to this question is obvious, but you have to kind of explain it sure. away. What is the strength of the list? Italian. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But yeah. Let's. Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, with the exception of champagne, it's 100 percent Italian and a very large the, champagne uh, list. I mean, people I, know. I think it's the most. I, I say this all the time, people roll their eyes, but it's the most underappreciated champagne list between I between agree. Babo and Del Posto. Like the the price point, it was something that Jeff Porter started. 
you know, years ago that we were, we wanted to have the most, cause we want people to order champagne. Right. And I think a lot of restaurants do that, but with our, they've, they've done it in the last three, five, seven years, yeah. a lot of Italian restaurants go heavy champagne, right, right. Marta, Miley. Absolutely. All. And the idea is that we want to put it is, at a price point. bigger, bigger than Yeah. Any. And, and at a price point you can't be. All right. So strong champagne uh, on the Italian. For sure. So, I mean, always going to be Piedmont and Tuscany are going to be your biggest two regions. Which um, is one bigger? Than the other? Piedmont, probably. Yeah. And we take a little break on the wine list there. If you were asked Nebbiolo or Sangiovese <laughs> and you had to pick one or you're going oh, to some gulag in man. Siberia, and I don't have a lot of time. So you- I think, I mean, I would, I, I, I'm not going to give you a straight answer, but I'm going to give you a good answer. So I think, oh boy. Nebbiolo, I think Nebbiolo for the, that, like, amazing experience when it hits there there's nothing and i'll argue with my uh, francophile friends like there's nothing that beats nebbiolo okay i, 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 I think so that's the one you'll hits. push out first if you had to represent but consistency and day in day out drinking sangiovese okay um so you know we talked about this existing wine list off-site on-site you've been there not that long what touches have you put on the list, or sure. is it the type of you know? Are you bringing more Etna stuff yeah. in, or was oh, there? absolutely? Okay, <laughs> I mean, what to, else? To probably a nauseating point. Of <laughs> okay. Like, although again, I think the the beauty. I mean, not to go back and rehash this, but the the beauty of Etna also is that it is. In, incredibly friendly, it, you know. It's the great, you know. One thing I think Psalms always worry about is is somebody sending a wine back. You can't hate Etna wines you, for the most part. Like you really, really can't hate them. People can be turned off by Sangiovese or, and, and Nebbiolo based on structure and tannins and whatever it might For be. Sure. Etna is so easily drinkable in the way that like Pinot and Beaujolais are that like it's really hard to to decline that and say no. So you can someone who knows nothing about wine but wants something light and refreshing and is great. But then there's also this immense, like such great complexity to that to those wines that I think that also allows for people who really are focused on like what wine brings and those kind of earthy characteristics. So that's one thing. So definitely, yeah, no. I am very much in a, you know, I started Serena and I did it here because I think my predecessors were very good about building a Piedmont and Tuscan list, especially my predecessor before me was very good about building up Chianti right. um, because I think it's an underappreciated region and he very much did as well. I'm starting to figure out where the, the holes are for indigenous varieties that, um, aren't as you know sought after give me a so, filled hole or two right so like well, you know wines like rosese or uh Cesanese or um from where uh, so like like Cesanese from lazio perfect example right now where we started doing a, a regional traditional tasting menu and so well, the beauty of that is every month or every six weeks we're trying to find a different region that is underappreciated so right now we're doing lazio um and, you know, in some ways there's an understanding why Lazio wines are, are hard to find because they're not a lot good out there, but there are some really excellent ones. And so, you know, I started kind of digging into that. It allows me to re- realize what part holes we might be having. So Lazio is very much one of them. Uh, I think Calabria has some really fun wines. Uh, there are parts of Sicily that we not, away from Etna that I think are really, really cool. And these are things... That were not on the list or not. They were, represented. yeah. I mean, you're, you're pushing. We it did a, a good more. job of making sure every region was right. represented, but I'm I'm trying to build it up a little bit more and saying there are other producers besides this one or two. So, 
you know, and then I think uh, the northern part, I love, like, wines from Valdosta. I think wines from uh, Lombardia are fantastic. Um, you can really get some amazing Nebbiolo. You know, they are called Chiavanesca, but that uh, may be a little bit more accessible at an earlier age. They don't show as much kind of, like, that tannic bite that, like, young Barolo might, right. um, but still show, like, beautiful acidity and those kind of, like, bright red fruits and those, you know, like, you know, secondary notes that you get in Nebbiolo without having to worry about somebody going, this is too much for my palate. Right. Um, Good to know. Don't, don't Mario and Joe make Friulian wines? Friuli wines, definitely. That's always going to be a region that we, we push hard. And I think uh, really kind of the first evolution of white wines in Italy, like really great white wines in Italy really came from that area and they do fantastic, fantastic wines and some of the best producers of all white wine and some really great red wines, but some of the best white wines in Italy are all coming from uh, Friuli. Nice. All right. Last Babo wine list question. Uh, You got 30, 40,000 bottles of wine. Sure. uh, (laughs) Off and on site. Yeah. The restaurant's two stories, isn't it? Or is it three stories? Three stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you got people helping you there? We you do. got a staff Thank there? God, I have people helping me. I'd be in trouble if I didn't. So you're up and down. Yeah, we have Besides a, up and down to the wine, yeah. you're up and down floors. So you yeah. have a SOM crew of what? We have a, uh, a team of four uh, strong. Well, a team of. Yeah, we have a team of four strong SOMs um, and basically a SOM on each floor every night, mm-hmm. in, not including me. Um, right, so you'll and run. then on busy nights, we'll even have three SOMs. I mean, we really are a wine destination restaurant. People come there yeah. for the depth of the list as much I, I mean, as I'm surprised. I say this to my, my other Somme friends all the time, but there are places all over the country that people will, like, order, you know, they'll order a plane ticket to fly to. Oh, I, I think a perfect that. example is, like, Bur- like Burns is in Tampa. Well, yeah, I mean, or, it's like, sort of a, right. for New York, it's a and mini Burns. Because they haven't, like, changed the price point of their wine. But we have that right here in New York, in Italy, and I think it's because we're all Italian, people kind of forget about it. But there are, you know, there are crazy price points on our list, we call them kind of Easter eggs, you know, 20 or so uh, wines where we just mark completely down so that if you're willing to take a little time with the wine list and find it, you're going to find some amazing deals. And that's Give me sh- one Easter egg if you could remember. <laughs> uh, Better pick one where you got a couple of cases. All right. I'll give, give me you, an example. I'll give, I'll give you the most popular one because I think it's starting to kind of pick up. But the 01 Sasakaya right now uh, is like 250 on the list. Which is incredible. I mean, you that's about what store. you would pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my favorite one right now is Soldera 98. I'll hold off on saying the price. But uh, Soldera 98 but right people now. People know Soldera. But availability is one thing. Yeah. If you want it, you, you know what it's going to cost. You're willing to I pay mean, and it, the fact that you have it. It stems from, from Joe and David Lynch and all my predecessors who were smart enough to go, this is the first time I've ever been a buyer for wine that I'm never going to taste. Very cool. I buy wine. We send it off to Jersey, and I'm never going to taste it unless I'm here <laughs> for the next five or six years. Right. You'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. All right, Scott, we're going to morph to our wine list. Sounds our good. wine list is a question, uh, five questions, same questions we ask everybody each week. Don't obsess on these. Give me your best answers. Um, we will post this on our social media. Um, take it anywhere you want. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? What are you drinking for you? What are you drinking for the restaurant? What's in your fridge? What's on the table? What's your current obsession? Sure. Give me a couple um, of things. I mean, I think right now, drinking for the restaurant is focusing on that Lazio menu, so I'm probably okay. drinking, I'd say Cesanese. 
Okay. Um, and then, you know, on the white side, they do a lot more. I mean, do you, they, you know, they, you know, they're known for Frascati, which, you know, is known for as an easy drinking kind of, you know, throwaway wine, but I think they're making some, some pretty good ones. And then there are a couple of producers that are making like international varieties. We just picked up like a, a Viognier that is outstanding. From where? Um, uh, Casale de Giglio. Okay. Um, and they, I was like blown away by that. And it's, you know, the price point is really great. And so um, I lean away towards international varieties unless they're really like blow me away. And this one really did. Uh, but the Chesanese, I think, is a really fun one. Now give me a Chesanese maker. Um, Dami uh, Cioli. So C-I-O-L-L-I. Cioli. Yeah. C-I-O-L-I. Yeah, Damiano. Okay. All right. That's a good one. All right. Do you have... This is the silliest question on the list. <laughs> Do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Is there something you've done more Ooh. than a bunch of times, and when you do it, you go, oh, wow? And, you know, we have a Grape Nation rule. You can't say oysters and champagne. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's champagne stuff, and it's, it really is. Champagne and anything. Such an easy, but you could yeah. say champagne and something else. Um, let's see. Favorite pairing right now. I mean, I have... It's funny. My, my wife. My my wife is. I always tell these people. My wife doesn't know much about wine at all. She'll be the first person to tell you that. And yet, when I uh, throw something together, I'm always like, "Hey, taste this and let me know if it works." And she'll. She. I feel like in some ways has a better palate than I do. Um, and she. Uh, I opened a bottle for New Year's of uh, Igli Aurier, and she made some popcorn and just threw it together. And I was like, "What is this?" So yeah, I mean, uh, champagne, champagne and popcorn. And popcorn. Yeah, I think that for me is something that I will. So Igli Aurier is a champagne producer. Yeah, and popcorn, the salt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the salt, know. the buttery kind yeah. of character, the roundness of the Igli Aurier because those are big champagnes. Like uh, there was something that just worked that night. And again, it, it wasn't something I pulled out. She pulled it out. Just so you know, every now and then we get. A wine and food pairing that nobody else says. Yeah. A couple people have said champagne and popcorn. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Because it's There's kind a consistency. of consistency. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're not. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's not you know, like your popcorn pie. for sure. You know, like the it's classic is fried food. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I fried chicken and uh, I can go back to the Chesanese because right now I'm loving a dish that my chef is doing that's basically like an egg crepe wrapped around like meat and it it has like a delicacy and yet a, a, a hardiness. Yeah. And Weirdly, the Chesnese works so well with it because although it's slightly lighter, there's a peppery note to it, and the delicacy of the wine works with the egg, but the, the, the fruit works with the, the meat, and it's outstanding. So I, that's something that works well. All right. Your favorite wine restaurant and our bar. Um, people out there that are doing it well, doing it right, and I said restaurant and or bar. Yeah. Um, you know, I realize when I ask people this, sometimes you get nervous that you're leaving people out. Or right. Whatever. No, no. But, no. you know, someplace that is comfortable for you. I mean, yeah, I've, I, I'm sure this has been an answer you've heard often because it is like the kind of the go-to spot. But company is just... A lot. It is. And it also, I think, answering the question is a little bit like, well, what, what are you looking for? So for me, like, if I'm looking for a, a spot where I hope to see my other wine friends... I'm going to go to company because they're going to show up right. there. Right, uh, 12 o'clock. You know, like Caleb and Theo and that team really does Agree. an amazing, amazing and, and job. It comes up, I think uh, in 2018 we did awards for 2017, mm-hmm. and in that category, I mean, company was one of them. Any other place? Uh, I think, so weirdly enough, because I'm such a niche Italian focused restaurant. When I go out, I almost always never drink Italy um, okay. or Spain for that matter. Uh, but I'm always looking for a really good internationalist, and I think by far the best internationalist uh, in the restaurant. I'm, I don't even have a, 
a close second is the modern. I think Michael Engelman's yeah. list right now is insane and has been for years. And, he's a, he's um, a whiz it's, for sure. Man, that, that list really is, is crazy. Like, where can you go where you're getting Australia, South Africa, and then the classic French you know, really Italian. And it's not just like classic producers, you're putting a list together to have great names. He's bringing out names that no one knows of, know. you know, and, well, and putting the list. Australia too, it is, so yeah, it is. It's so I good. agree with you and other people do too, because they've mentioned that and he deserves all the kudos. Do you have a favorite all time wine um, or two? And I always say it's not the most expensive. It's not the rarest. A lot of times it goes back to the experience. Like mm-hmm. my wife and I, when we got engaged, we had a bottle of sangria, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But, but what, can you think of things that... I can, yeah. I mean, I, 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 the kind of aha wine, if, if you will, I, I, and I always think this is, it's almost always more experienced than it is with the wine. If I had the wine the next day, it wouldn't be as good uh, because it was who I was with. And right. I, was, I was with a group of guys. Which shows you that's an important yeah, part of the whole absolutely. wine Absolutely. Exactly. And so, right, so what is that's it? a focus. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine named John Ross who was uh, now a master sommelier at the time. He was w- working with me at 11 Madison. He just got married. There's a group he did with Jane. Is, is yeah. he in Australia? Yeah, him and yeah. Jane are both in Australia. Yeah. They're both okay. some of my favorite people. And, and really, along, along with Dustin. the SOM TV show. They both were in the SOM TV right. show, yeah. Right. they um, Yeah, and, and along with Dustin, right. really did push my, my love for wine. So I ate with him and a few other guys. We had this kind of like yearly thing where we go to Love Mass Park. And, he, and the first year that we went there, he did his birth year. Wait, where'd you go to? Uh, Love Madison. Uh, um, and so we ate there, and he decided to do his birth year um uh, Close Saint Hune, so uh, uh, VT. So we did a uh, Trimbach Close Saint Hune VT, and um, it was uh, the. It was every re- and I'm I, if when people ask me what my favorite wine is, I, I I'm kind of like other songs. I probably say Riesling. Every Riesling I drink to this day, I still think, can it do what that did? What did you give me the vintage year? 83, 1983. 1983 yeah, Close Saint Hune VT, which is a classic. Now I'd say to give you one more answer and more recently um, I'm obsessed I have been for a long time with Stella Compalto who is a Brunello producer she's yes. amazing I, so I kind of stumbled on that a year or two ago so find this I think this John wine. Patterson at uh, Frank John's, has a lot of John, John's got this I know I just recently saw John has this wine on his list because yep. uh, I was at Frankie's the other day um not and crazy price either. The, well, the Herpernellos get up there because they're such small production. But this wine's actually lesser. It's actually a super Tuscan, and it's called Coltempo uh, Bella. Coltempo basically this in Italian is by means. Stella di mm-hmm. So it, this is like Say the second Coltempo. So C H O L Tempo T E M P O, and then Bella is the second part. It's a non-vintage bottling. It's a uh, experimental plot that she's doing four grapes that you've never heard of before: uh, Lagrine, Tanat, um, wow. Marcelon, which is a, a Bordeaux crossing, and then another Bordeaux crossing. But the wine is insane. It's like it's like Brunello meets Bordeaux, and yet there's an elegance to it. You would think these four grapes usually come off either tannic or inky or over extracted, and she somehow puts together one of the most beautiful wines. And it's less than her Brunellos, um, and it's a very small That's production. A great, that's why we do this show. So yeah. guys like you Dude, can unleash. Please find info that wine. Like I that. had it for my birthday, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since. All right, last question, and I think you can handle this well. Give me your best wine for around 15, 20 bucks retail. Give me a red, give me a white. Okay. I'm sending my 20 something kids to a party. Yeah. 
don't send them with a crappy nine dollar sure, sure. bo- yeah. bottle of wine, and they certainly don't have forty. So okay. what are they buying? What red, 15, white, twenty? Okay, you could give me air. Uh, you could I mean, say Muscadet for a white. white. Yeah, uh, a white for me. I'm going to stick to Italy. Uh, one that was my favorite, still is one of my favorites for that price point is uh, Andre Felici. So F E L I C I, I believe, and this okay. is from the Marche, uh, specifically uh, Castello di Asi region. We didn't really talk about, but one of the best grapes along with Sicily in terms of making white wine. It's Verdicchio. So uh, Verdicchio to, to Castelli di Aze. Good one. So, um, Give me a red. That's like going to range in the 15, 20 range. Right there. Red, I would say. Uh, let's hop back over to Spain. I mean, I think I think some of those Tempranillos, you know, the the, the younger kind of Crianza is like, I think I want to say like uh, La Rioja Alta's like our, you know, like entry level bottling is going to be in that range. And those are classic Tempranillos, you know, showing those kind of like classic kind of sweet and sour so Spanish, coconut dill, crayon. you know, dried red fruits. Don't and they use American oak, those guys? They do. Yeah, that's where you get so kind of that coconut dill. And dill. And all that yeah, coconut, so I mean, right? if you're ever trying to taste, like, like we talk about blind tasting a lot, if you're ever trying to taste wines that are like classic Tempranillo, like La Rioja Alto and Lopez for me are the two like right. just classics. But La Rioja Alto is usually at a, at a lesser like price point and makes, makes really, really excellent wine. All right, so like I said, I'll post all of those. All right, Scott, we're going to wrap up the show, but we're not going to leave without tasting and evaluating some wine. So every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip. I always ask my guests if they'd like to bring in a bottle. Scott brought in the 2015 Igni Aglianico del Veltori from the Basicolata region, which is in the south of Italy. Um, Quickly, because we have about three, four minutes. Tell me about this wine. Yeah, so this wine I'm super stoked about. I mean, it's, it's going to sound somewhat like a shameless plug, but I, I wouldn't do it if the wine wasn't amazing. So this wine is uh, being made by two uh, really great psalms. Uh, so we have um, Jeff Porter, who we talked about earlier. It uh, was uh, up until about last month the head of uh, all the Bastiano restaurants. And now he's kind of out doing his own thing, and this is one of the things. And he's paired up with Shelley Lindgren, who's on the West Coast. So really for me, I don't know two more wine-focused, Italian wine-focused wine people, aficionados, if you will, uh, in the country. And they've paired up. It's like the East Coast, West Coast version. It's almost like... (laughs) <laughs> like Tupac and uh, and Biggie decided right. to like bash their uh, forget their their right. rap battle and make wine um, and the wine is insanely good so it's an Aglianico grape so, Aglianico uh, you see more in Campania um, right and, and this is actually in Basilicata so which we, is central south yeah basically the heart of the south, right. southern part of Italy um, so most people know Aglianico from Campania and specifically Tarassi uh, here you get um, on Aglianico so Del Votore Votore um, basically meaning vulture they you know they're right it's up on a extinct volcano and you have these like seven different like valleys and peaks that form what looks like a vulture um, but what you get is really old like ha- like hardened like volcanic rocky soils uh, and so and they're also high up so what mo- a lot of people know Alianico as is kind of deep extracted like it, it's really kind of that transition from from the California wine movement a little bit right. where you got like these deep like oak driven style wines well now now we're seeing Alianico specifically in Basilicata which are light and floral and the alcohol levels are getting lower and the you know the brightness is there and it's you know this is a I drink this all day long this all is right, a day so let, let's wine. evaluate it let's sure. let's uh, give it a sniff and throw it over the tongue so Absolutely. let color it's kind of a deep ruby garnet yeah, right deep ruby Absolutely. beautiful mm-hmm. color you know clear um 
Give me your nose descriptors. Sure. So you get, um, you know, I think one thing that, not to pass up on the fruit side, but one thing that like stands out to me right away is that kind of like smoky volcanic ashy like yeah. uh, character. Um, but I get grilled herbs from the yeah, smoke. Yeah, you get of kind that. of like darker red fruits, darker definitely black fruits. Red fruits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely more in the in the red fruits. Alianico tends to show more black. You think of Alianico, and you know the kind of general way of saying it is it's like the Barolo of the South. It usually has that structure of Barolo. Um, here. I think tends to, to be a little bit lighter on its feet, a little bit brighter, a little bit more floral. Uh, whereas in Campania, you get a little bit more darker, a little right. more. Uh, what about mouthfeel? Kind of a medium? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, uh, on the higher end of medium. Medium, um, medium plus yeah, type thing? Yeah, I would say, uh, I wouldn't go quite medium plus, I'd say like higher end of medium. I think, okay. it, again, this is super easy to drink throughout the day. And the palate reflects the nose, the red fruits, there's some Absolutely. minerality. It's great minerality, a little bit of like a leather component there going. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. Uh, what but, do we pair this with? Uh, lamb, I think, would be fantastic. What else? I think phew, I'd step outside here of Roberta's and, and tear apart a pizza with this. Anything, right? Absolutely, yeah. This is an easy-drinking wine. So but we at don't the same like time this dark. wine. We love yeah, this yeah, wine. Yeah, I love this wine. And it retails for about $29, $30. Bucks, yeah, right? you can get so it in that range right now. Point. Yeah, and this is this is the first bottling that they're going to do, but they're going to do other volcanic because wines. Because it's been in the bottle and barrel for almost 30, for sure. you know. Yeah, we didn't total. say this. So this comes from the Piscini <clears throat> family, which is a, uh, they make Grofalco wines, which are some of the best Alianico you see as well right. in Silicata. So it's the 2015 Igni Aglianico del Voltori from Basilicato. Scott, we got to wrap up the show. Cool. We just did an hour. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. At samatthegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby and the hashtag The Grape Nation. On Twitter, we're at BenRuby. Also, subscribe to The Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now Pandora. Um, like I said, we'll post Scott's wine list answers. We'll post the info on the weekly wine sip. And if I could sneak in some of the other wines we talked about, we'll put them on our social media sites. Scott, where can we find Scott? And Babo uh, yeah. on social media if we want. Yeah, Babo you can find on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Instagram. You, yours is? Sco, it's S-C-O-W-O. S-C-O for Scott. S-C-O-W-O photo, yeah. Okay. S-C-O-W-O. P-H-O-T-O. Photo. Yeah. That's where you can find You can Scott. see a lot of uh, nice bottles and a few baby shots. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to thank our guest, Scott Waltz. Scott is the wine director at uh, Babo downtown in the village in new york city go down there and say hello to them if you want to get some killer wine and some killer food thanks to our engineers and everyone at the heritage radio network i'm sam ben ruby and you've been listening to the grape nation Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can also find us at Facebook.com Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family and become a member. Thanks for listening.